Hey now, say now, you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I'm here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, and uh, today we got a special guest coming on to the podcast. He's a friend of mine, uh, somebody I've known for a few years now, and we've got to really hang out and do some work together here while he was back at the Oregonian writing room reporting for college football. He did some NBA writing here as well. You covered the Blazers for a little while, right, Greg? Yeah, about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you did it nonetheless. But you definitely got your shine on on the college football front. Um, but now he is at the Los Angeles Times. He's a beat reporter for the Los Angeles Clippers. I got Andrew Greif on the line with me. Greif, man, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're busy right now, and we're going to get into why here shortly. But thanks for joining me on the pod, man. Yeah, of course, man. I'm so happy you asked me to join. So I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely, absolutely. And before we get into sort of the timeline of questions that I have slating for you, dating back to about a year and a little bit of change ago, let's start with where you're at right now, what you're doing right now. I mean, I obviously have a little bit of insight on that, but give the listeners a bit more of a perspective uh, on your current situation. I am, uh, now, now you can see this, Devon, of course, but I don't, listeners can't, but I'm in a beautiful hotel. Uh, I, I say that uh, with air quotes, but I'm in a hotel near Orlando because uh, starting tomorrow, I'm going to be at Clippers Lakers for the first uh, first night of the NBA restart. So it's, you know, I was at Clippers Lakers on March 8th when Staples Center was packed. Uh, coronavirus was kind of talked about, but uh, people even then were not really serious. They shut down locker room access for reporters, but that was about the last step they took. Again, it was a sellout. And then three days later, the whole league shut down for four months. Wow. So I am here for the restart, and I'll be here for a couple weeks. I plan to see about five Clippers games before I head back to Los Angeles. And then I might come back. I might not. It kind of depends on how valuable uh, it's been to be here in person and watch games in person. But I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I see you out there in your uh, fancy schmancy hotel. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, first off, be safe out there because, you know, you are out in Florida. And I know, obviously, COVID-19 is really affecting everybody in a tremendous way. But I am also happy that you are there and able to give us some of your insight from that lens. Um, but I want to get into the aforementioned timeline of questions that, that I have dating back to last July. It gets announced that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are headed to play for the Clippers. Um, that shifted the NBA in a decisive-esque level of magnitude. Now, obviously, outside of the basketball world, um, the outside basketball world, I should say, we were hit with an absolute bomb, this time from Chris Haynes rather than Woj. But from your position, being a beat reporter for the Los Angeles Times, covering the Clippers primarily, were there any stirrings about this taking place, or did you kind of get hit with the bomb like we did as basketball fans? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like that week of free agency, you knew the Clippers wanted to get two stars. You know, they had been rumblings about, about Kevin Durant, uh, and he was someone who had considered them, and they were pretty happy that he, he had kind of included them on one of the teams he was interested in. But he was off the board very early with Brooklyn. And then it kind of, you know, Jimmy Butler, maybe there had been a lot of smoke around Jimmy Butler earlier in the season, like nine months before. But then he goes to Miami. And so 
I, I'm kind of sitting there like, well, who's the second star? Of course, they're, they're going after Kawhi at that point. Um, but what would the second star play be? You know, was this a trade? Is this someone we're not, not thinking about as a free agent necessarily? Um, and, and Paul George was someone who, uh, in, in hindsight, makes all the sense in the world because he complements everything that Kawhi Leonard does as a wing defender, as a scorer. Um, you know, the, versati the versatility, they're, they're both those guys, probably the, most, the best all-around duo um, in the league right now. So in hindsight, of course it makes sense. But Paul George, a year earlier, had just re-upped on a long-term deal in Oklahoma City. Yeah. So uh, it, it was, that was when, when it came out that Paul George was, was part of the one-two punch. That was shocking to me just because, uh, again, he seemed, as of a year earlier, so happy to go back to Oklahoma City that he recorded a mini-documentary about it. Uh, his yeah. decision to about to stay, so uh, that was that was a stunner. Yeah, absolutely, man. Was it? And now I do want to know: was this like your most memorable breaking news story for a team that you were primarily covering in your career as a sports uh, sports journalist? Because obviously, the entire offseason was crazy last year. You have Anthony Davis go to the Lakers. You have KD go to Brooklyn. You obviously have uh, the one-two punch that we're talking about here in Los Angeles where you are. But I know you've been around the game for a while, been around sports for a while in regards to covering it. Was this the most memorable breaking story of your time? Yes, because it's even for someone who's a transplant to LA like I am, um, in, my, in my year in LA before that news happened, I came to really understand better the, the rivalry between Clippers and Lakers and how uh, the Lakers are by far the favorite in town. You know, the, the Clippers over the past, oh, you know, six, seven years have been by far the better team, but the Lakers have the city's heart. And so when that news happened, even someone like myself was able to kind of look forward in the future and realize these two teams are now not only relevant at the same time, but title contenders at the same time. And that's never happened before. And so you just saw like from that one point of the news, you just saw, you know, the next year ahead of you of, oh, in May, there could be a Western Conference Finals between these two teams. Uh, you know, uh, one of those teams is going to probably hold it over the other team, but we got to the finals and maybe we won a championship. So um, the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are kind of in one corner and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are in the other, and the fact, and they could be playing against each other for several more years. It's not just a one-year yeah, thing. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of what made, that's the scale that made this story so different than others that I've, I've been around. Yeah, if you had to name one other memorable breaking story that either you covered or a story that you broke, what would you say could rival that or at least come in second? <laughs> um, gosh. I, I think that, um, I mean, obviously the story about players who were hospitalized at the University of Oregon caused a huge national uh, stir uh, when, during winter workouts in 2017. That was a huge story just in terms of like its reach, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I would say that the firing of Mark Helfrich was extremely memorable for my time on the Ducks, probably more so than that one, because uh, this is maybe, I don't know, I think people who live in Oregon <clears throat> will understand this, but you know, that Oregon's football program just was a place where people had long, decades long tenures if they wanted to, they could stay there for, you know, as long as you won, you knew you were going to have uh, probably a long trajectory there. And, and his staff had been there for decades, sometimes three decades. And so to all have it all kind of come down to firing, that for me was really memorable because it felt like at the end of an era. It wasn't yeah. just a guy lost his job and his staff was gone. It felt like 
the whole way we thought about Oregon Ducks football was changing in real time. Um, you knew that it was going to now become a job that maybe it was a stepping stone for somebody else. Maybe it wasn't, but you just, you knew it wasn't going to be that, that line of coaching where someone was promoted from within the ranks and they took it to another level. Yeah. So that, that one, again, kind of thinking about the scale of it in the moment was really memorable thinking about, okay, this is a, a, you know, program changing decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like that kind of resonates amongst, amongst Oregonians in general, like, you can get real comfortable here in the state of Oregon. So once you kind of stop and, and plant your feet around here, you end up living here for decades and decades. I mean, right now I'm pushing year six of being out here. So I can say I've gotten pretty comfortable and I've sort of seen that trend amongst many others around here. Um, now I want to kind of fast forward to January um, to a much sadder happening that had a huge international impact, but I would say impacted the city of LA more than any other city. Um, Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna Bryant, and seven others died in an absolute tragic heli uh, helicopter accident. And although you cover the Clippers, for the time being, they still shared the Staples Center with the Lakers. Um, can you speak to some of the experiences and just the aura around Staples, Centers, around Staples Center during that unfortunate moment in time? That day was one that is one that will always probably stick with me because uh, I was driving up with another beat writer to Orlando. The Clippers were playing that Sunday in Orlando. And I was driving up from Miami, uh, carpooling with another writer. And, you know, the, the whole car ride, we just, we, it's like three hours. We got in my hotel and, um, you know, I'm kind of getting ready for the game four. And all of a sudden I got a text from the other writer saying something to the effect of, you know, oh my gosh, this can't be true, Kobe. And, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of, your senses are going, what's going on? What's going on? It pretty quickly it became apparent what happened. And uh, just showing up to the arena that day in Orlando was so bizarre because we didn't know if the game was going to happen at first. And then when it did, uh, in warm-ups, there, there was like no music uh, during like the pre-pre-game warm-ups when players are just getting their individual workouts in. This is, I'm talking two and a half hours before a game on the floor. Yeah. Um, no music. And Tyron Lue, who's a Clippers assistant coach, you know, he played with Kobe Bryant with the Lakers. He won a title. And I, I remember him vividly just, and I don't really know him that well, uh, but he just vividly was walking around. You could tell he was processing it and having a hard time with it. And just in the days, uh, Doc Rivers in his pregame media session with reporters, I mean, he just started crying within probably the first 30 seconds. And, and he wasn't even someone who said that he really knew Kobe, um, on a, on a deep, deep level until yeah. the last few years. Right. So you can imagine people who, who knew Kobe for, for years or for decades how they felt. And I think that to your point about L.A., the city felt like it knew him for decades. Uh, you know, even if they'd maybe never met him, just because of his personality, uh, people I ran into, again, just kind of out and about. You saw, you saw signs on the backs of cars, like, like almost like the, the kind of like chalk you'd see if someone's won their T-ball you know, tournament or their AU basketball tournament celebrating it. People were chalking up the back windows of their cars saying, you know, rest in peace, Gigi and Kobe. Um, you saw businesses with like their signs. They changed them out. It was no longer advertising like pizzas. Where it was just like rest in peace, Kobe. There were billboards up everywhere. Staples Center was amazing because outside it had turned into this impromptu memorial and I, I walked around for the first time a few days after the Clippers came back their game with the Lakers was postponed and uh, there were people 
were trying to find anywhere they could they could find to memorialize Kobe and Gigi and, and the victims of the crash. And so they were riding on the, the asphalt on the road. There's a road that goes north of Staples Center. It's yeah. kind of like a plaza area near LA Live. And there were people riding on like crosswalk, the white paint of the crosswalk because it, you could see it. I mean, the, the, the ways people wanted to show that they cared was, was really amazing. And that's nothing I've ever seen um, in any kind of celebrity death, let alone someone in, in Los Angeles, obviously. So it was just, a, I remember my Uber driver in Orlando going to the airport the next day from Orlando to Los Angeles. I didn't tell him what I did. I hadn't told him anything. And he brought up Kobe all by himself. Yeah. And this was a guy who said he lived in Brazil before that. So like, just the, you're, you're seeing, you're just kind of inundated with the ways Kobe's kind of competitiveness had, I guess, inspired people. And it was, it was something that without having lived in LA, I, I knew that he had a huge reach, but this last year and a half of living there really helped me tap into the fact that he's not just a, a basketball player, but he was, he felt like in some ways, like a soul of the city. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did the Clippers end up having any games canceled during that time? The Laker game, that was, well, it was postponed. And right, it, was, right. it was going to be replayed in April. Uh, obviously, that never happened. But um, so that, that, and that was, I believe, that was the first time a game had been postponed in the NBA since a Celtics game around the time of the Boston Marathon bombings. So wow. I mean, talk, talk about rare. That's very rare, very rare. Um, like I said, we're, we're going to stick to this timeline here. Um, let's fast forward to March, just after the NBA season gets postponed during the COVID-19. Um, the owner of the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, decides he's going to purchase the forum. Now, can you speak more to where that stands? And also, being a Northwest guy, I guess from an identity standpoint, you know, it gets looked at when you, when you compare Portland and Seattle, that Portland is like the little brother city when it comes to this particular region. Obviously, you know, when you think of the Lakers and the Clippers both being in Los Angeles, which is a major city, and both sharing the Staples Center, the Clippers have always kind of gotten looked at as the little brother, and it's been the Lakers town. Um, just speak to where that all stands right now, and do you think that sort of that identity crisis, if that's what you want to call it, for lack of a better term, has something to do with Bomber pulling the trigger and purchasing the forum? It, uh, it, it absolutely is, because um, the Clippers, the whole, the whole reason why they wanted the forum is because the, the owners, the former owners of the forum, Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, their, their president is also a guy who owns the Knicks. Uh, they had they've been the fiercest opponent against the construction of a new Clippers arena. The Clippers have wanted to build in Inglewood about two miles away from where the forum is. It's actually this site, the site where they want their arena is directly across the street from SoFi Stadium where the Chargers and Rams will play next year. And they have uh, they've really put in a huge effort behind this, what's going to be a billion-dollar arena. Uh, but Madison Square Garden did not want that arena because they, they felt it would, one, take away from their their concert business, which is what the forum had been turned into with this premier concert venue. And also they had they felt that the city of Inglewood had kind of duped them into giving up some land, giving up their lights, prices of land that became the, the plot for the Clippers Arena. So they thought this, I mean, they were spending millions of dollars per month each side in legal fees just to hash this thing out. And it had been stretching on for months. So by purchasing the forum, they got an arena that they will continue to operate as a concert venue. But more importantly, 
they, uh, Madison Square Garden agree as part of the deal to end all of this litigation against Balmer's group. So mm. essentially, it, signed, it, took, it took away all these legal hurdles that were in front of the Clippers arena. Um, in the last few days, the Clippers arena actually has gotten a little bit more of a boost because this environmental report that the city of Inglewood um, was expected to pass did pass. So that puts them a step closer. And if, if the timeline holds that, they, that they're hoping for, uh, the Clippers, should they expect to start construction on the arena by this time next year and oh. in order to open in time for the 2024 or 25 NBA season. Yeah, I, I'm interested in kind of the dynamic that's going to play in L.A. Obviously, L.A. being a huge city, um, becoming just a larger sports city. Now that you have the Rams there, you have the Chargers there, the Clippers are going to go get a new stadium. And then even if you think a little bit further down the line from a sports lens, you have the Olympics coming there in 2028. So I'm sure, you know, the forum will get some Olympics action as well. Um, so I'm really excited. Go ahead. And to your point about uh, you're feeling like little brothers in town, that's, that goes back to why they wanted this arena because Staples Center, um, they have all the Lakers championship banners, which with the Clippers cover up ever since Doc Rivers arrived. He said, why are, we, why are we allowing these banners to show during our games? This isn't our history. So they covered it up. Uh, but, but, you know, the Lakers and the Kings, who are the, the first two tenants of the building, they get the first and second choices of the scheduling nights. So they get like, the best possible nights for their home games. Uh, the Clippers are the third tenant, so they get third pick. So they've for years chafed under the feeling that they play a lot of kind of Saturday afternoon games. Yeah. Games at un times that are not at ideal times. Yeah, yeah. So now they get a little more primetime action, not having to be kind of that, that third wheel of the Staples That's Center. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Now, Greg, the objective of this podcast is to focus on the intersectionality of sports, politics, and culture. And I usually like to have two of those three elements and topics that we discuss here, if not all three elements. Um, but obviously, in late May, many of us witnessed a brutal video of George Floyd being killed by Minneapolis police. Um, the NBA has made noise in regards to social justice, social justice reform, um, being advocates, going out on the streets and protesting. Um, can you sort of speak to what the coverage has been like for you on more of a social front in regards to covering the Clippers in particular, but even a little bit more widespread uh, as somebody who covers the NBA? Yeah, I would say that ever since we started talking to players and coaches more regularly, um, July 1st, pretty much every interview session is deals in some part with social justice effort questions about that um you know i asked doc for example yesterday you know what he planned to do when the national anthem plays on thursday night because during the scrimmages they have not played the national anthem but starting thursday night they will again and players are expected to kneel um and i asked doc you know what, what would you do and he said basically i'm going to follow the lead of my players so I don't think it takes too much to read that that means that if a, you know, the Clippers decide to kneel uh, or demonstrate in some way that he will follow their lead. So I, that's the coverage. There's, there's a, I wouldn't say it's 50-50, but there is a, a lot of questions and time spent talking about uh, you know, what players want for, out of, out of these, this focus that the NBA has chosen to put on social justice efforts, whether it's putting Black Lives Matter 
on the court, just painting it on the court or um, putting these, these pre-approved messages on, that players are able to pick from to put on the back of their jerseys. Um, that's, that's well and good. But Jermichael Green of the Clippers, he put it well, I thought, one day. He said, these are, these are fine things, but it's really just the start. Like, we, we, we have to do more. And so you're seeing people like um, Kyrie Irving, who's, you know, donated. He spent a lot of time talking about players and making sure that they felt like their voices were heard on this. Um, yeah, I, I think the coverage and, we, and the Pro Basketball Writers Association has actually asked the, the Players Association, you know, if, if can we devote extra time to talking with the players about this, you know, find additional times, not just the post-practice availabilities yeah. or the pre-practice, post-game, et cetera, et cetera, but what if we carve out extra time to, to you know, basically address everything you want to in, in that form too. So I think there's absolutely an appetite, not only from the players to talk about it, for the, for the media to write about it. That's been my perspective. Um, I was, I think one of my favorite stories over the last couple of months was talking to Clippers uh, rookie Amir Coffey. He's a rookie from Minnesota, uh, grew up in Minneapolis. And I was just curious, but man, like what's it like to see your hometown basically become the epicenter of a national movement. And he was great. He was so candid talking about that. Um, just really laid it out what it's like to grow up black in Minnesota. And I, I just felt like I was uh, so glad that he chose to talk about that. So, yeah, I think that, that your, this storyline as the basketball continues will not be going away. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speak more to your coverage just during the pandemic in general, because obviously things have changed drastically. You had a postponement during the season. You have all this this kind of back and forth in regards to whether the season will be able to finish or not. Um, you've been having to do some covering away from Orlando, although we now know you arrived to Orlando yesterday. Um, just speak to how coverage during a pandemic differs from coverage outside of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it w I'd, say, I'd say two things. One is that uh, it was great because you knew everyone was just hanging out at their house pretty much for the yeah. first few months. Uh, but the bad, bad thing is, you know, you can't force someone to pick up the phone. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even, even if they're not doing anything, um, you know, it, there's no guarantee they're going to call you back. But uh, so, yeah, it was, there were some points there where it was like, are we going to have a season? What are we going to be writing about? Um, you know, a, a lot of, you've seen a lot of newspapers and news organizations shift reports over the news. If that had been the choice, I would have been fine with that. I want to be useful, but we ended up st sticking with sports the whole time. And um, yeah, I mean, I did some stories that were not strictly on my beat because of that, you know, about how COVID-19 and the shutdown had affected a couple different areas of LA sports. Uh, one was a small college. One was the Drew League. You know, I called it yeah. the Drew League in, in April and said, you know, what does this mean if the Drew League shuts down, which it did, it eventually did for the summer. My, my thought was, you know, leagues like Goodman in D.C. and Rucker Park and Drew League in L.A., they, they're kind of more than just basketball leagues. They're institutions within their communities, uh, many of them with scholarship funds uh, for kids who need it. And so if you can't play, what does that mean beyond just no basketball? And so I was, I was really interested in, in kind of sussing out that idea with Drew League folks. So. Sometimes there would be some different story ideas, maybe differently than I'd be doing in April or May. Right. For basketball season. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but it was, 
it was actually remarkably remarkable how busy we were able to keep ourselves. There's, and there's just a lot going on and a lot of stuff where I don't think people understand, like for every maybe story you see, there's, you know, seven or eight or nine phone calls that have to happen. So there's a lot of time on the phone talking with people. And, um, but, you know, so even if we weren't producing, at least in my case, you know, as many stories as before, it mean, I wasn't still on the phone quite a bit talking with people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're here. We are at the bubble. And you know, I got to ask you about this, man, because you cover the Clippers. You've covered Lou Will uh, for the last couple of years now being with the LA Times. And uh, now we got a situation where Lou Will ended up leaving the bubble and going to a funeral, I believe it was. Uh, And while he was out there, you know, doing what he had to do, condolences to him, his family, friends, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He ended up making a pit stop in Atlanta, and the pit stop was at a place called Magic City. For those that do not know what Magic City is, it is a strip club, and they they also happen to serve good food. Um, They have chicken wings there that have become particularly famous over the last few days. Um, So, Greif, man, I I just got to ask you kind of what your general thoughts are on Lou Will and, and what he did and what took place. Did we as society overreact to this thing? I mean, what's your take on this entire ordeal? Well, there's no doubt that if he had gone to any other restaurant for the most part, uh, maybe an Applebee's just to really make it Main Street, uh, that it would not be the same kind of uproar as it has been. (laughs) At the same time, it still might be the same length of time he's in quarantine, though, because I I think that he was supposed to come back and serve a four-day quarantine. But if if it kind of comes out, I think that you are out in public uh, maybe doing more things than you told the NBA you would uh, before you leave. Who knows if he actually had to brief the NBA on where exactly he'd be the whole time. But uh, I think that the NBA is going to take this bubble concept seriously. And so uh, obviously the way it gets out, you know, with the tag on Instagram, Jack Harlow, Jack Harlow. <laughs> and then, you know, it was, it was kind of, he dismissed it saying it was an old picture, but it really wasn't clearly because Lou was wearing a mask that you could basically only get in Orlando right now at the bubble. Oh, wow. Um, that element, I think that is something that um, it took it from a, you know, kind of a, a violation rules, violation story to, uh, has, has Lou Williams put the entire integrity of the bubble at risk? Um, so it's, it's, I think it's terrible optics and that's what the sin was. You know, it was, I think that going to a funeral is risky right now, just because of how many people could be there. Right. I mean, that's risky. Um, but the NBA had deemed that supposedly okay. I think that when you, when you are seen out in a public place, whether that's, you know, Magic City or somebody else, I think the NBA is going to take a real hard look at it. So the fact that it's a strip club, one of the nation's most famous strip clubs, you know, Magic City on a Monday. That's yeah, yeah, people, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> everyone of a certain age kind of knows that lyric. Like, I, I just think that it's a really bad case of optics. Yeah, I, and I'll be honest with you, Greif. Like, I know the COVID-19 pandemic is something that we all need to be taking serious, you know. But for this particular incident, it was more so comedic to me because, I mean – the guys are in a bubble. There's loads and loads and loads of testosterone in the bubble right now. And just the thought of Magic City could probably get a lot of those guys excited. But the fact that Lou Will 
was able to be inside of those four walls of Magic City, even if it was just to get some food, obviously coming from the bubble and knowing you got to go back to the bubble. I mean, there's some guys out there that might would take advantage of that. <laughs> the thing I did not know until this week is that Lou Williams has uh, the lemon pepper wings named after him yeah. at Magic City. <laughs> so I, when he says it's his favorite restaurant in the world, uh, you you kind of have to take him out his word on that because what you know he apparently he frequents it so often that they named after one of their favorite customers. So yeah, uh, yeah it's I, I've been I was I happened to be off that day on a furlough, so I'm seeing all this stuff blowing up, and I you know bound by the rules of furlough, I I can't do any work right. So yeah. I felt bad for my coworker who was <laughs> taking over for me that day, but. Uh, yeah, that's why I like covering the Clippers. There's, it's pretty uh, It's pretty rare that they are not making news. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and you really think about it. We are, like As you just mentioned, this is a nationally acclaimed strip club. It's, it's a place that a lot of people know about. And although Lou Will is an, an NBA player and a very successful one, I'm pretty sure there's much more, like, high-profile celebrities that – go to Magic City on a regular. And so for them to actually name some wings after Lou Will in particular, yeah, I mean, you can't be surprised that he, that he made that pit stop at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate for him because he's going to lose money. He's going to lose two game checks because of it. Uh, he's going to miss Thursday's opener against the Lakers and then Saturday's game against the Pelicans. So um, that's going to cost him some money. Uh, I'm sure that those – it's quickly turned into very expensive wings, maybe the most expensive wings in his life. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know what? He's he's also probably <laughs> he's also probably become Magic City's number one customer of all time because I cannot imagine the amount of interest and and as money he's driving that business's way right now. Because even the most you know straight edge people in the world now all of a sudden know what yeah. Magic City's wings are all about, and they probably right. are interested. But let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's take out. <laughs> absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For sure, for sure. So, how is there eight regular season games left before the postseason starts in the bubble? Yeah, eight seeding games, and then the postseason starts on August seventeenth. Okay, so so you got eight regular season games left. Um, what is the significance of those eight games for the Clippers leading up to the postseason? Obviously, a lot of elements are different. Home court advantage is different. Um, I guess maybe who you match up with is one thing, but there's just so many elements that you usually look forward to when it comes to sort of that playoff race to where now things have changed drastically. Not as many games are going to be completed in regards to it being an 81 or 82 game season. Um, Just speak to what those eight games actually mean to the Clippers during this time that, you know, may not have had any significance beforehand. Yeah. Right now, I think that it is safe to say that the Clippers they just want to get to the postseason with all 15 guys on this roster ready to go. Um, you know, but right now they're in second place. I don't think there is a great chance of them uh, bumping backward, but let's say they did. I, I think that if the, if the trade-off were that, well, now you're in third, but uh, in third in the, in the seating, but you have all 15 guys ready to go when that first round opens, they would, I think they would take that because all season, this whole thing has been lined up for them to, uh, as long as they're healthy in the postseason, that's all that matters. You know, that's why they were giving Kawhi Leonard uh, days off on the back or front end of back-to-backs. 
that's why, you know, Paul George was handled very carefully uh, when he injured his shoulder, when he was coming back from his shoulder injuries, I should say. And he had hamstrings. Uh, they, they've been trying to limit the loads on guys all year, not because they didn't want to win and set themselves up for a good postseason run for good seeding, but because they just they knew that if they could get to the postseason healthy, that they felt they were as deep as anybody in the league. So um, I, I think that these eight games will be a mixture of, uh, you know, warming themselves up. Obviously, uh, they're going to be competitive. Obviously, these guys are gamers, um, but. I don't know that they're – I think they're going to – not warm-ups is too strong of a word, but I think that they just want to be able to feel like they're back in rhythm right. and kind of running at a high level by by the time mid-August rolls around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Grife, so we do a segment on this podcast, and it's called the Take an L segment, where we basically pick a subject um, that took a loss or can take a loss, uh, in this case, for whatever reason. They just – did something not so great. Um, obviously, with us being the Wake Up and Win podcast, I try to usually give a winning formula or a winning perspective in regards to the topics that we cover on here. Um, but with this segment, we do pretty much the polar opposite. So the league returns tomorrow. You got primetime Lakers versus Clippers. It'll be on TNT. My question to you is, who do you have taking an L tomorrow and the returning game of the NBA between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers? Um, I think I would say the Clippers because they're going to be without Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, and those yes. two guys averaged 37.3 points per game this wow. season together. I did not that, realize that. I, I knew that, but it didn't really click to me that that was the number. If it, now here's another level of it. I just realized this today that those those points off the bench, 37.3. If Lou and Trez were a team all by themselves, that would rank them 15th in the NBA in off the bench scoring per game. Wow! So those two guys by themselves produce more points again off the bench per game than 15 other, or excuse me, 14 other NBA teams. Yeah, that's pretty so much half they, the league. <laughs> yeah, it is. So the fact that those guys are so vital to what they do and that they won't be there um, and the possibility that Patrick Beverly won't be able to play, he's with this questionable. Um, those, those two guys are some of the, like, the, the heart of this team in a lot of ways going back to last year. And Patrick Beverly is absolutely one of the hearts of this team. So uh, I, I just think that those two guys, because of what they do, is so vital for that second unit. Um, and the fact that because it is the first game back, I don't foresee the Clippers extending starters minutes just to get a win. Um, it's the first game back. They're, they're going to be careful. They don't want to over, overwhelm these guys. So um, you're not going to cover up uh, Lou and Trez's minutes with more PG and Kawhi necessarily. You know, yeah. I think that would be possibly something that could put the other guys at injury risk. So um, I, I just think that those guys are so central and, the, and you know, the clip, the Lakers, while they do, um, you know, they're missing Rajon Rondo, missing every Bradley, you know, for the most part, the rest of the way they're, they're fully ready to go. So I think in this instance, I would pick the Lakers. Okay. That, that, that makes total sense. Um, and I know you got to get out of here shortly, Grife. So, um, the last question that I do want to ask of you here on the pod today is, um, you know, there's obviously you're in a field that many people wish they could be in. I think there's 
sort of, you know, a privilege for both of us being able to do what we love when it, when it comes to covering sports, when it comes to just being able to work within the media in general. Like, it, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, it, it can be a pretty cutthroat industry, you know, at, at times as well. Um, so, you know, obviously you've been able to kind of go through the ranks, going through college, um, spending the time that you spent at the Oregonian, and now you're at the Los Angeles Times. Um, for aspiring sports journalists out there. Um, can you speak to them, Greif? If there's one thing that you could tell aspiring sports journalists or just aspiring journalists in general, what would that be? Um, I, I think that the good thing about, I've told this in people, so it's not, uh, it's not the first time I've said this to somebody, but I feel like it's, it's a really hard time in the industry, but uh, the internet has really opened things up to where um, the, the steady paycheck may not come, but if you're starting out, I think there are more outlets than I had when I was coming into the industry about 10 years ago. In terms of just getting your writing out there, I think there are more places, uh, just a proliferation of sites that will take um, submissions and will take writing and will potentially allow you to write for a while for them. Um, and so I think the key is if you are, if you are truly dogged and want to do this, I think that you can try to carve out a little space. Now, the challenge is to get with that next step, right? T taking that passion, that thing you're building into something where now you're getting paid for it. Now you're advancing. Now you're on a career track. That is as hard as ever. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. Um, and this is coming from someone who I graduated in the middle of the recession when newspaper jobs were in dire situation. Um, so I kind of had to, a scratch along the way to get myself um, into those first jobs as well. So I, I, I know it on that level, but uh, I do think that there's a lot of ways for people who want to write um, to, to get their writing out there and be seen and to get reps because you're not going to be uh, very good overnight. You know, I, I would not want to read my stuff from the first year or two writing at all right now. So you just know it's going to take time. I think there are places that will allow young writers to kind of nurture and, and to get that, get those reps because now you're not just relying on, well, how many brick and mortar newspapers are there? You know, where can I, it's like, well, which sites can I go to, you know, and there's going to be a site probably that's devoted to whatever niche you want to write about. So um, the opportunity I think is there for people who, who want, who want it and can get those lucky breaks. Uh, and then from there, I think I would hope that editors and people who are in positions of hiring, would kind of see that hustle for what it is and understand people's hunger. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Greif, I appreciate you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. I know things are busy for you. You got a big day tomorrow with this, with the season returning. Um, like I said before, man, stay safe in the bubble. I'm proud of everything that you're doing. Keep going. Don't stop. And uh, once again, man, appreciate you for joining us here on the pod. Of course, man. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you're, Man, I, like I said the other night, I just feel like I see your stuff popping up all the time on social media and the fact that it's not just, you're not just making your, your work show through in a podcast way, but it's like with street roots and with everything else you do, uh, you're touching a lot of people. So I think that's really cool to see from afar. Man, I appreciate that, Grifo. We'll be in touch for sure. You know you're a good friend of mine. And uh, like I said, again, I'll continue to stress it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing the dynamite job that you're doing, man. Thank you, man. Take All right. care. Yep, you too.